Caution. All systems ready. Hello and welcome back to Less Than 10, the Small Gang Podcast. Uh, this will be episode 56. We're going to talk about a bunch of the recent changes that CCP has either announced or implemented. A lot of them have to do with structures and things that aren't necessarily strictly Small Gang related, but um, you know they're they're interesting, and I think some of them have the ability the potential to impact the EVE environment. So today I have with me Murray Rothbardo from Rote Capel and Rick Javix from Stay Frosty. Murray, why don't you introduce yourself and you know tell us a little bit about what you do in EVE and that kind of thing. Yeah, so my name is Murray Rothbardo. I'm a FC slash player in uh, the Alliance of Rote Capel. I currently head up the corporation called Signal Rejection small group of folks who came out of a large new bro corp and test once upon a time. We currently live in Potchvin, doing all sorts of Potchvin-related shenanigans. And then I sometimes like to hang out in NPC Null, do things out there as well. Cool. How's, how is Potchvin, since Rote no longer has structures there? Has that like changed your setup much? Uh, not really. We, by and large, have been running the same kinds of ships and doing the same kinds of things. A lot of nano out through wormholes or just around Potchvin. And then we've got all sorts of doctrines that had more adjustments in them, mostly because of different kinds of opponents we were facing. Not so much structure-related. Gotcha. And Rix, you're part of Stay Frosty, which is mostly low-sec, I understand, but what else do you guys do? Uh, well, Stay Frosty is uh, pretty much we. Well, I mean, just today we were in Nolsec. Uh, we ran a uh, Kikimora fleet into uh, Losec with some sabers and and a couple of Bifrosts and had a nice little. It did not go my way though. I um, I lost two Kikis and a, a Shimu today. My, my day was really just about as about as much bad luck as you can have in Eve. I was I was having today. Yeah, every once in a while, you just have one of those days where nothing goes your way, and you land right next to the crow when you come out of the gate, or you know something horrible happens. That's the kind of day I had today. So, um, but yeah, we. I mean, mostly we're known for um, uh, being pirates, uh, negative ten pirates in low sec. That's that's our major thing. We do a lot of uh, null sec roams, wormhole roams. Um, and travel around all over the place. My, I've got pilots spread all over the universe. We, it's almost all small gang, um, solo, uh, PVP. Like even today, I mean, that Kiki fleet was, we had seven Kikis and and them. So it was probably about 12 of us. So that's pretty much about the biggest fleets we do. All right. We try to avoid getting all together unless it's, uh, you know, for a structure defense or something. And then people are surprised when we show up with 48 ships and local, you know, don't like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause we're not, we're not known for that sort of thing. Most people see us like two or three people at a time. If it's not just one pilot. So 
they'd, they'd get the wrong impression. But we like it then. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty useful. Uh, before we get into the the main stuff we were talking about today, I did want to go back and touch on Plex for Good because um, this is the first recording that Less Than Ten has done since that wrapped up, and CCP offered to match the total of donations up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and we did indeed make them use all of that. I think the total was just over five hundred thousand after that and i know many people did many things to to raise plex for that uh we did a little raffle thing in the less than 10 discord and a very generous uh member named astro saitoma donated a bunch of ships to be prizes and various things and we ended up donating uh 111,000 some plex um do either of you do anything plex for good related not really. I've actually been pretty busy with real life and other things over the past month or so. So outside of the hunt event, I actually really haven't had opportunities to do a whole much, a whole large amount of things in game. Well, that's a sad story, but um, yeah, it's understandable. It happened. Uh, we had a we had a small party in uh, Uletta a couple of about a month ago. It was our eighth annual frigate free for all and. That happened uh, right around that time. So we, um, gosh, we ended up with near, well, we had built, what, 20,000 frigates. So 20,000 T1 frigates fully fitted. And we uh, ended up breaking, I don't know, four four records. Uh, most Damn. ships, yeah, most ships ever exploded in a single day. The fourth most ships ever exploded in EVE in a single day. Um, I don't remember all the other um, records that we broke, but um, yeah, it was pretty awesome. And um, yeah, all the raised uh, plex that we managed to uh, to collect and and uh, don't get donated was all sent to Plex for Good. It wasn't it wasn't something where I um, I personally um, got all of it myself, but whatever was donated to me uh, went to Plex for Good. So. I don't have a, a, a grand total of all of that, but uh, it was a significant amount. Well, I'm sure if you had record-breaking numbers of people involved, I imagine it was yeah. pretty big. Yeah. Well, most of the, the two of the records that we broke were the ones we set last year at the uh, seventh annual ones. Really looking forward to next year. It, it's yeah. a big, big event. It takes a long time to put together, but it's our annual uh, low-sec party. Try to get people to experience you know frigate uh pvp a lot of a lot of people who never pvp before come to uh, try it out so that's pretty cool that's awesome if you could schedule it on a day when i'm not at work next year that would be great <laughs> yeah. you could uh, yeah. just presciently arrange that yeah you you and the australians could all join together and, <laughs> yeah yeah, because you know it's it's the thing about in-game events is tough because of so many time zones, and you you try to do it. We did last year. We did four hours. This year we expanded it to six, just to try to get crossover as many time zones as we could. But you're still leaving, you know, a lot of people unable yeah. to attend. Well, yeah. There's only so much you can do. Yeah, and it's six hours of insanity. So all of our our guys are a lot of our guys are tied up in station just. You should see some of the videos are pretty funny. Um, 
actually um, Magaibo did a did a uh, video on his YouTube channel of of just him handing out ships and just trade. frigate after frigate uh, after frigate. Yeah, just. 20, 30, 40, 50 trade windows open at a time, just shoving frigates into trade windows over and over and over again. It's hysterical. Well, but key to making that all happen. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do some testing and see if we have an idea maybe that we, if we did individual fleets with uh, the ships in bowheads, you know, tethered to a structure and having people dock up. Oh, they could just pull them straight out of the bowhead. Yeah, and then the bowheads just dock up, load up, undock, and then we just have people pulling ships out of bowheads. It might might work. Might be a little faster too. Yeah, we're gonna have to, yeah, we're gonna have to do some experimenting with that and see because it would. I mean, in order to get twelve thousand frigates out, really <laughs> a lot of trade windows. Yeah, we had we well we built twenty because we last year we built uh, I think nine almost ten thousand, and we had twelve thousand. A little over 12,000 ships exploded. And we wanted to do, you know, again, six hours. And so we had 20,000 ships built. But there was a limit to how, you know, because our guys were like pounding away at those trade windows. But there's only, there's a limit to how many you can hand out. You know, it's just humanly, not humanly possible. Eve's not built to do that, you know. So how can we yeah. do it that half faster? So somebody had the idea of bowheads. And if we did like 10 or 12, bowhead fulls, you know, that might work. Yeah. We're going to give it a shot and see if it works. Yeah. And as long as they're tethered, you know. Right, yeah, fun. they're not really in danger of anything. Right. Yeah. Well, unless CCP dramatically changes tether between now and then. They seem <laughs> which to be they, on a, which they might, yeah. Yeah, they're on a bit of a structure change tear. Um, before we get into the structure changes, they have also done some ship changes of you know various uh relevance i guess to 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 small gang particularly but to most people i guess you know rorquals can now conduit jump and bridge which work the same as the black ops conduit jumps and bridges except you can only use them with mining ships which is an interesting idea that the rorqual can be like the you know the kind of the mothership moving miners around but it's not something that I have had a chance to interact with, really. No, I don't. Well, I don't do any mining, but um, we do have an industrial arm in the alliance, and I have actually seen this in action twice now: um, a Rorqual jumping into system and dispensing <laughs> uh, industrials, and so I have seen it work twice. Uh, not my not my group, but for somebody else is doing it, and. Uh, you know, I mean, I think it's great to get the Rorqual involved. And there was a part of this, too, where um, didn't they change something, too, to get the Porpoise involved, too? So I'm all for that. I, I, I like the idea of Rorquals and uh, Industries ships appearing randomly in space. I think that's pretty exciting for PvPers. <laughs> yeah. Hoping one day I'm in the right spot to take advantage of that and not actually in a hook wheel or something. Which is what happened the last time. <laughs> right. You'd fight a fight a Rorqual in a hookville. You'd be here all for actually a year. Yeah, I'm twenty five jumps away from another ship. Yeah. Can't say I've done a whole lot of mining since uh you took a forced exit from Sov Nullsec, to be quite honest. Yeah. Post I mean even then I was mining either R sixty four 
or I was mining ice while ice was price spiked. But even now, I don't think I'd bother mining ice because the price is back down to not that cool. And I used to mine a lot of R32. Even that's not worth mining anymore. Like, it's painful. Yeah. I don't know anything about mining. I managed to avoid it for the entirety of my time living in, in NullSec Alliances. But, you know, it's interesting that it's, you know, more mobile, I guess. It's definitely useful for the kind of thing I was doing, where there were, you know, five or six ice belts I could go to. And my options were shove the hulks in the ship and then gate the pods and then jump the Rourke. Or now I can just jump the Rourke with every mining barge all, and then I'm there. Problem solved. So it's pretty convenient, to be honest. Yeah. That's, you know, some quality of life, I guess. Um, let's see, what else here? They've changed a bunch of BPCs, or they're about to, I think. That's on CC now rather than live, but um, they changed the components required to manufacture a lot of pirate uh, and some capital BPCs, which I think I'm I'm looking forward to Cinnables not costing 350 mil personally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so I think that'll be great. I'm a little concerned that they will take pirate battleships down. To a cheap place again, and we'll be seeing, you know, Balgorns and Barghests all over Nullsec again, but I don't Is know. Is that any worse than the I, Marauders yeah, text? Uh, yeah, it's not. And I don't yeah. think, while Marauders are not significantly... Well, I guess that's the thing, is like, will people downship to those if they're cheaper, or will they just... Because right now they're sort of in the same price band as Marauders, and if they end up cheaper... Maybe we'll see pirate battleships instead of marauders. Yeah, I think the main important thing, right, is having a reasonable power curve. And between the pirate battleships going through the roof and the fact that they doubled moon ores so that T2 prices are crashing through the floor, you were getting to the point, right, where like I when I was looking to get a bring a battleship out to Venal, I looked at a cheap Varger and it did all this cool stuff. And I looked at, like, not, like, turbo-blinged Nightmare, but, like, blinged enough to actually be useful, because a T2-fit Nightmare isn't actually very good. And the Nightmare costs more. Right. Which is just absurd, because the Varger is just so much more powerful in most situations, right? Like, yes, there are certain things that certain pirate battleships do very well, but... The power curve, in general, you're going to be able to do more with a Marauder than you are with a T1 yeah. battleship. I and agree. I think the price curve of them, you know, being between Navy and T2 makes far more sense. Yeah, if if they could just, you know, get around to making Navy battleships not terrible one day, that would be great. <laughs> I don't know that we're going to win. Looking at you, game. Armageddon Navy issue. Yeah. Hey. Don't forget your boy, the Dami Navy. Uh, listen, the Dami Navy can do all the things that 
a regular Dominics can do, and an Armageddon Navy cannot do all the things that a regular Armageddon can that's do. Not, dude, that's not even true. The Domi Navy doesn't have the range bonuses on drones. So it's not actually... Oh, that's true. It's not as good as sentries. Uh-huh. Right. It literally just... It only does more damage if it is in front of your face. <laughs> yeah. but I, will say, I, will, I will agree with you, though. The Geddon Navy truly has no purpose because there is literally nothing it could do better than the Napok. Yeah, or the Abaddon in the other um, direction, you know? The Abaddon is such a great ship. The Abaddon is great, and I think... Uh, I don't know, it's sort of a an interesting outlier in T1 battleships. There's a couple others that are very good, but the Abaddon just like happens to hit certain... DPS and tank like thresholds where it's very yeah. good. I mean, well, uh, our um, in low sec, it's a lot different. I mean, you guys are talking about null sec stuff. And I understand where you're coming from on a lot of that, but for us in low sec, it's a whole different paradigm. So we're, you know, we we are excited about it. Uh, the changes uh, we we like to fly a lot of pirate stuff and uh, faction ships and low sec, and we don't do, you know, we don't really. You don't see a lot of marauders. Uh, we don't have that marauder problem. I, as a matter of fact, just uh, last week, I went into a system. I saw two Vargers running a mission. That's pretty much the first time I think I've ever seen two Vargers in the same system. Um, well, go go out to Vale. I know. I know. Well, I've heard the stories, and I you know, that's what I said. I was listening to you guys, and I'm like, yeah, you guys have a lot of di- a different thing to worry about or to live with than we yeah. do. But, but yeah. So we're we're very excited in Losec about the battleship changes, the buff to um, you know hull tanking and the armor armor things and all that. Is so well, I shouldn't say, but we're going to be doing a little bit more uh, battleship fleets too, just to shake things up a little bit. So nice, yeah. I really like the armor plate and extender change. Yeah, it's pretty in awesome. general. It's Absolutely done some interesting fantastic. things. The battleship meta and like the relationships between different battleships. Yeah, we are we are seeing more of them in space, so it's good. Yeah, everyone everyone wants cheaper pirate BPCs. Everyone question mark wants cheaper dreadnought BPCs. It seems like they've been priced out of use in a lot of ways. I mean, even if you knew people who made good Isk and Eve, the vast majority of organizations. You're looking at prices that were so expensive for dreads once they actually reached build cost that it became hard to ask individuals to buy them. Right, especially because of the way they're they're often used in Nullsec, where they're like suicide to kill something yet more expensive. That threshold gets a lot higher if each dread costs you seven to ten bill. Yeah, and. I know some people would complain about like, oh, I'm hunting in crab space and I can't find you. There's no like ratting carriers or like haw dreads out or whatever. And yes, that is true. But I think marauders have overtaken capitals as the one to three billion isk, like use my shiny ship to make money by myself in my own space tool. And yes. marauders are much easier to hunt. They're a little harder to avoid because they're more mobile. 
but like you only need without like a hyper specialized setup 10 to 15 people to kill a marauder if it was a hodred you need like 30 40 yeah. yeah and so the threshold that you need to hit in terms of the number of people available to take on these targets has gone down and realistically marauders cost more than a lot of like you know your farms and field carriers used to which like used to kill carriers and they'd be worth like 1.1 billion <laughs> yep. the hull was 900 mil of that and the person who died got 600 mil back in insurance so like the carrier probably cost them less than whatever fleet you had killing the carrier even if you were like t1 <laughs> yeah and they might they might make up they might make up the difference in the kills too so they 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 might even end up as positive and losing right. a carrier it was just a joke. And so I think if you look at it in terms of marauders kind of taking up that space and then capitals occupy a much more fleet or like combat focused area, one step above that in the three to five, maybe three to six billionesque range in terms of ship cost, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think so too. And I think at, at you know, three and a half or four or five bill people are going to be willing to drop a dread on a titan and know that it might die but feel good about that whereas for a while there it was like no one really knows what the cost of this is because the build price is you know 12 bill or whatever but no one's actually building them so what does that mean and i mean i used to say that like i knew literally nobody who was building caps and i can't say that anymore because i know of one group that was purchasing caps that were actually being built. But one group, when I know enough people to say that I can speak to many more than just one group, was definitely not a good situation. Yes. Uh, no, I think it definitely was not in a great place in terms of the, the build cost. But, you know, it's, uh, it's nice to see CCP following through on... You know, they said they were going to set this up and then iterate on it, and they've set it up, and now they're iterating on it. And maybe it's a little slower than some people would like, but at least it's happening. Well, the prices are dropping. You know, we've seen, you know, some some of the BPCs and some of the holes go even almost half in Jita over the last week or so. So it is it is impacting things. One thing to say with regards to industry in terms of the actual cost of production is a lot of the new cost estimates for certain materials, namely like some of the things that you like did explo for to find, which I, I don't even know what goes on there, weird stuff, but some of the weird components and then some of the things like gas, those prices I think reflect a demand level that is far, far lower than actually exists if caps are being built. Because like I said, almost nobody was building them. And so those costs might be a little higher than the current estimates if people start building and then suddenly Jita just runs out of like case space gas, right? Or it just runs out of these other components because there simply weren't that many out there. And mining case space gas, not very good money. So the price would need to go up quite a bit to entice people to do it. And so. Well. Some of the estimates might not be super accurate, but we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, and I think that's the kind of thing where, like, 
CCP needed to change the components down so that people tried, and then they'll need to do another pass at some point once it kind of shakes out in the market. And they have made moving gas around a lot easier by making it compressible, which hopefully will induce more people to mine it and also reduce the, you know, the kind of bottleneck that was happening about like, you know, you would, you would harvest it all and then have to react it basically to move it in any kind of efficient way. So. Yeah, but I agree. I think the, the market's going to overreact as it usually does. And, and then it'll go back up again and it'll overreact again. And then, eventually it'll all settle out and we'll see where we, where we are then and those overreactions are how you get really rich in eve yeah exactly so let's do it um let's see what else have they buffed lately they uh not exactly buffed they caused the skill that affects bomb launchers uh cycle time to actually work, which it was not for, I don't know how many years. Um, the net result being that bombers can, with T2 launchers, can now fire a second bomb after 60-something seconds, I believe, instead of 120. TBD, how much that really affects um, bomber usage, uh, because... In general, you know, bombers don't attempt to stay on grid long enough to launch the second bomb. They launch a bomb, warp off, reset, get themselves settled, go again when they have a target again. And in a, a complicated combat environment, the odds of them being ready to go again 60 seconds later are fairly slim, I think. But it is at least, you know, something to consider if you're especially if you're starting to use battleship fleets, for example. Right. I imagine that the bombers bar people were very happy to hear that news. Yeah, it doesn't really affect anything that we're doing, but I was happy to see that because it has always been sort of a a weird bug, you know? Yeah, it's a weird bug, and it makes training the skill, you know, that doesn't really do anything kind of a trap for people who don't know better, which is not a good, right. you know, system. Um, I was more excited about the Proteus buffs. I, I, I like them. I'm not sure that they've made the Proteus amazing, but they added some power grid to the uh, weapon subsystem that bonuses hybrid turrets. They added some CPU and drone bandwidth and a corresponding amount of drone bay, I believe, to the drone subsystem. And the armor buffer sub now also gives you a plate mass reduction, sort of like what the Eris has, uh, which are interesting. Yep. Proteus is still the slowest or second slowest cruiser in the game. Still can't move. Which yep. is a pretty big handicap. But you can make a polarized armor buffer Proteus that has 40,000 EHP and does 1,500 DPS hot. So there's that. Yeah, yep. yeah I have a couple of guys in Stay Frosty who are proteus lovers and they're they are over the moon on these changes and i i literally have probably flown just about every ship in eve and i have never flown a proteus as a matter of fact yesterday i had to uh fit one up for anger games practice and um i went to open my pipha and i was like i i literally don't have a proteus fit so i tried to do it 
you know, from scratch. And I had no idea how to fit that shit. But uh, yeah, so, you know, I've never flown one, but I think I'm going to probably, you know, drag one together and uh, try this polarized thing out. Although I probably shouldn't say that out loud. You see <laughs> well, but yeah, so gotta gotta try it, right? Yeah, it'll be interesting. And I think, you know, in the, with the, the various bonuses it's gotten, I think it's easier, you know, if you sort of fit it like a blaster VNI with drones and blasters and everything, right. you were using three or four fitting mods to make that happen before. Now it's not as many. And similarly with the, a blaster or heaven forbid a railgun Proteus, you're, you're having to use a lot of fitting, fitting mods to make it work. They're still somewhat handicapped by the fitting on 250 railguns being uh, an adventure, let's say, but you know, it's interesting. It's interesting to see. I would love it if the drone sub could fit railguns because it has a tracking bonus to to hybrids. Right. And that would be interesting maybe, but it's really really what I want is for 200 millimeter railguns not to be trash. Yeah. Yeah, and, and because that would not only help the Proteus but a lot of other ships too. Yes, being able to to step down as a compromise, but not a crippling one right. uh, with medium rail guns would be great, but they're really, you don't gain much and you lose a lot. Yeah. yeah which is why they don't get used very often, especially in PVP. I, I don't can't speak to PVE, but yeah, I think, you know, as long as you are using the Proteus in the way it was intended and not putting yourself in a situation in which you, you might have to move, um, you're probably going to be okay. Yeah, I haven't quite figured out where that would be, but I'll I'll ask uh, Virtus and a couple and a couple other bike guys to explain it to me. But yeah, I, I still you know I still lean towards a Loki if I'm picking a T3, but you know, and, or a Legion. But yep. Those yeah, ships are just awesome. They're great. The Tengu has its place too. Um, I have a corpmate who who believes very strongly in the hundred MN heavy missile right. Tengu. And he does impressive things with it. So it's just yeah. Believe it or not, I still when Tingu when the T3s came out, I I uh, got a Tingu was the first one I bought and fitted up the pretty much the as soon as they came out, you know. And I and I still have that sucker. So I still have a old school 100 mn you know uh, heavy missile launcher Tingu sitting in my hangar. And that's what almost got nine years old or something. Like that. So, Somehow it hasn't died. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't fly it a lot. Yeah, part of why, for those who are not aware, the Proteus is in such a weird place in terms of speed is that uh, I think all the other T3s get a subsystem that gives them a big bonus to agility in prop, and then a nullification subsystem, and then a um, subsystem that gives them a bonus to speed. And the Proteus does not get a subsystem that gives it a bonus to speed. It gets a subsystem that gives it a bonus to microwave drive cap use and a subsystem that gives it a bonus to the benefits of overheating a prop mod, but not directly to the base bonuses of the prop mod itself, which is why it can't get over its its weirdly slow speed 
and then it's also starting from being like the slowest cruiser in the game. Yeah. A lot of guys who fly them regularly will use um, drugs to try to make up the difference on speed, you know? Yeah. But that's got its own problem. I pulled it up here just to be specific, but so it has the localized injectors, which are pretty similar to a subsystem you might see on another ship which is it has some cap consumption bonuses, and then it has an overheat bonus for AVs and MDubs. But then instead of the like ship velocity, I think, one that you might typically see, the hyperspatial optimization, which is not the interdiction nullifier sub, it's its own thing, it has a bonus to warp velocity and acceleration and then agility. So you end up with two of the subsystems not giving you any actual speed, and the third one doesn't give you any speed unless you overheat. Right. Whereas, for example, the Legion's two non-nullification subsystems, one of them gives you a 50% afterburner speed and 50% microwave drive SIG radius penalty, and the other gives you 25% Agility and twenty-five percent velocity overall at at level five in the propulsion sub skill. Right. So the Proteus gets some some bonuses that are not available to any other ship really, with the warp speed and the the mark warp drive cap reduction. But in the current meta, especially in small gang, going fast is pretty key. It's yeah. a fantastic extra subsystem for like a hot drop fit which you know goes with the scram point bonuses but unless you're using it explicitly for that purpose it's omega useless yep so we'll see uh it also this is just my my pet peeve it doesn't really matter because no one combat fits a t3 with the nullification subsystem but it gets nerfed by the nullification subsystem a lot more than some of the other T3s because uh, the nullification subsystem reduces the penalties that the nullification module gives you to scan res and targeting range, but it just ignores the giant, giant drone bandwidth penalty that the nullification module gives you, which on a ship with a full-on drones-only subsystem seems like it could be relevant. Yeah, so, you know, end result, Proteus is better, and you might see a little bit more of them, but they're still not great. They're still probably the worst T3. Yes. And, you know, I know CCP Aurora mentioned the other day or week at some point, you know, wanting to do a, like a full kind of subsystem pass on T3s in general and try to, you know, not necessarily like homogenize them all and so that they can all do the same things, but at least make sure that they're all in a in a good place, which I think would be great. But I don't know if or when that's ever going to happen. I'd take weapon tier aside over that, frankly. Yeah, careful other... to avoid talking about that because if we get started, Captator is going to jump out of the shadows. Twenty-five <laughs> page T three C rework that I still haven't finished reading. Well, I'm scared. Finish reading it. Come on, read it to us. I'm kidding. Don't don't read it to us. 
so that's most of the ship changes that have come out lately. Um, and then there's just a whole range of structure changes slash nerfs. Um, the the first round of them that has gone live is primarily a a DPS reduction, essentially, in a bunch of different ways for for structures of various sizes, and that includes bomb launchers having a I think a smaller ammo load and a longer reload time. Point defense systems now requiring ammo and having a reload time, so that affects you know their cycling. Uh, Anti-cap missiles have had their damage reduced in an effort to make it more feasible to use capitals to attack structures, um, which isn't really a very common thing because it's difficult to, to set up a dread to tank a Fortizar or anything larger um, that's fit to kill capitals. And then the thing that's most relevant to me personally is that Keepstar Doomsdays can't target subcaps. They can still jump to them, but you have to fire it at a capital ship, which means that I can now not be like, oh, I orbited to the wrong side of this Ansiblex gate and now I'm dead. Right. Which uh, was never fun and engaging gameplay. Um, though I I understand, you know, if I if I had access to the gunnery of a Keepstar, I would want to doomsday something. It's cool looking, it's fun, but overall, it seems like they're kind of stepping back the damage output of structures in general. Um, and then in the next round of changes that they've added, they made them a lot less tanky, or some of them a lot less tanky, really. So, what? Do you guys have any thoughts on this stuff? So before I start talking, I'm going to preface this by saying that probably over the past three years at this point, a huge, huge, huge amount of my content in-game has been or was fighting on objectives or on citadels, mostly defensively, but a fair bit offensively as well with a lot of stuff on mediums, a lot of stuff on larges. Didn't shoot any keep stars. Didn't get shot on in any keep stars. Um, and so I have some pretty strong opinions about a lot of these changes because I've seen pretty much all of these things in action at various points. And I've seen some complaints about them that are valid. And then I've also seen some complaints about them from people that I've watched throw their heads at structures in some of the dumbest ways possible, and then complain that structures are OP. All right. Uh, so what are these these opinions? Let's have them. Let's go. Yeah. If anybody knows anything about structures, it should be somebody from Rogue Capel, right? Yeah, a group that currently owns zero. <laughs> Yeehaw. Yeah, so I mean... Uh, in terms of the structured defenses themselves, the DPS change doesn't actually mean a whole lot. If you were using an active fit capital, you could already tank mediums. And if you're using an active fit capital now, if the Fortizar is fit properly, it will still kill you. 
So realistically, that change doesn't actually do anything. Maybe it'll give some people false confidence to try, which would be funny, but they'll still die. Um, I think there's some niche cases where, like, fully brick fit, you might be able to, like, swap in and out of triage, try and juggle it, but it'd be very tricky. Um, with regards to, like, PDS and bomb launchers nerfs, those are decently big. I think the bomb launcher one is pretty fair. That was very heavily disincentivizing to bringing heavy fleets to assault structures for no real reason. Like, if you want to go siege a like, large citadel, yeah, bring some battleships. It makes sense. Um, and the PDS really just served as a tool in two regards. One is to prevent bomb bombing waves from just killing your defensive fleet. And the other is to just make people get out of range, force them to sit at least 40, 50 away, and not use drones to keep the structure paused. And fortunately, it's still usable for the anti-bomb thing, which is very important for groups that are trying to fight outnumbered, because very typically you don't have extra bodies, extra people to just sit there in, uh, what is it, destroyers yeah. with the anti-bomb launcher missile button that doesn't even work very well. So realistically, having your gunner capable of doing that is very huge. And I think it's fair, because fielding battleship fleets with bomber wings everywhere kind of sucks. Yeah, I think that it's, you know, with the ammo, you then have to, like, you can't just turn it on and just leave it, and now I'm immune to bombs forever. You have to, like, sort of reactively use it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you always reactively used it, so you weren't actively killing yourself the whole fight. But True. On one hand, like, yes, the bomb launcher could be annoying to certain heavy fleets, but on the other hand, I also watched NC Dot warp in their fleet in a big ball to prevent themselves from getting bombed, but they didn't warp in a formation that just prevented most of their fleet from getting hit by citadel bombs, so they all then sat there at zero while their FC refused to move, which let me bomb their entire rogue fleet for the entirety of the fight to the point where I had like 50% damage on their entire fleet at the end. And so, while yes, the nerf is deserved, some of the people complaining about it were complaining about it because they were so bad at the game that they didn't know how to deal with it. And that's <laughs> right. on them. Yeah. Right. I've never found, I mean, you know, I've I have messed around on structure grids a fair bit in small gang stuff, and I have done some some citadel fights, uh, you know, at various times in my Eve career, though not in the last year or two really. So I'm not, I don't super up to date, but bomb launchers have never been the problem really for any any fleet, any structure bashing you know essentially if you're reacting to the bomb launcher and not just all sitting at zero meters a second right on top of each other if you can tank the rest of the structure's dps the bomb launchers didn't make or break that in my experience and it doesn't really hit fast moving cruisers and stuff very hard so it hasn't been a big deal for anything i've done in small gang the thing that 
I think about, like when I warp onto a structure grid, I'm not like, oh, I wonder if this thing has a bomb launcher fitted. It's I wonder if this thing has a newt fitted or a, or a jam because the structure newts and ECM are super strong. Yep. I'm fine with those. They're useful in fights, but they're not insane. You can neutralize a couple of ships with it, which is largely what you could do with an old POS, right? Like, you had right. a gunner with his four or five jam modules, and he was like, these four lads, you don't get to play the game. <laughs> and Citadel, for the most part, basically does the same thing, except maybe you've got one or two jams and one or two newts, or however you want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, they're not... I think that in order for them to have any meaningful effect on a fleet that is coming to fight the Citadel, they have to be strong enough that if I in my, you know, nano ship and fighting a couple of people on the Citadel grid, they're quite oppressive to me. So, you know, the net result is that I mostly try not to fight on Citadel grids, but like I get why they are the way they are. And I think they would you know, if if they weren't as that strong, like strong enough to to significantly impact a logi chain, for example, with the newts, you just never, no one would ever use them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mostly it's aimed at the at the logi, really, for the most part. Yeah, I've seen people use them to pretty good effect on, you know, against like people who bring small Lashak groups to bash a structure. You can just reset right. them and reset them and reset them. Yeah. But yeah. in general, that's. Uh, that's how that is. The trick here, though, is that these changes, I, I get it, you know, but these changes, and we haven't gotten to the second part of this, because these changes do kind of compile because of the next section that we're going to talk about here, which is the the changes that are on Sissy, you know, the uh, the shield yeah. changes and the, and the thing for mediums, especially for us in low sec. Yeah, that, that stuff is much, much, much more impactful. Yeah, well, let's get into that. So what has actually happened, or not has actually happened, what is on CC right now is that shields at all all structure sizes have had their damage cap removed. And depending on the size of the structure, they've had a bonus added to how many shield hit points they have so that it's still, you know, if you're, you can't just bring one Lashak and smite them no problem but if you put a couple of grid threads on grid you're not just sitting at this damage cap forever you know you can you can change how long you're there by bringing enough dps which i think is a good change um because it is it's very rare for for the owner of the shield to show up to fight you in any significant way on the when you come to attack the shields because they don't know when that's going to happen you can do it whenever you want yeah, we have a rule where we don't we don't show up on shield no matter what. Yeah, at least just, up in yeah, just a rule because it's pointless. Right, and it's just like you know maybe they're just pinging you or maybe they're you know they're whatever, but there's no there's no prep time and there's also no you know serious downside and someone can, you can't defend it in your off time zone and and whatever. So fine, going through the shields is a little more straightforward with the damage cap removed. Great. The big change is that medium structures, so like Astro Houses, Retarius, um, they're called medium structures, the smallest structures. 
<laughs> yeah, there's no small. So. Right. They now do not have a separate armor timer and then hull timer. You reinforce the shields. There's a timer. The hull hit points have been reduced significantly. So that one timer is basically the armor timer. And that's it. And that is, uh, you know, a very interesting change. I don't own any structures, so I don't have strong feelings about it. I also don't bash structures much, but I think it's uh, an interesting idea. I know medium structures just being super cheap and just spammed everywhere is a thing that a lot of people have complaints about. And, you know, to some degree, I agree. You jump into a system and there's, you know, an Athenor on every moon, there's 25 of them or whatever, plus some master houses, plus some other stuff. And you're just like, what, you know, why, why is this like this? So I think there's, I think there's two big outcomes from this one, which is very good. And the other, which I think is pretty bad. And it depends on which structures are getting the nerf. Which in this case, the good one is Athenor and Raitaru, and the bad one is Astrohus. You might recall when we were in Unspoken, right? We were fighting Trigger Happy over a bunch of moons. Mm -hmm. And what would happen is, because with the way timers worked then, with the three timers, it was impossible for Armor and Hull to both be on weekends, either on separate weekends or the same one. And because we were cross time zone fighting, they were EU, we were US, for the most part, we would just time our stuff to our own time zones, which made sense. And then whenever we tried to hit each other, somebody might generate a timer for a weekend so that they could be available to hit it. And the other side would usually punt the timer because they knew that they either could defend the hull on a weekday and the other side couldn't show up, or they would defend it on armor on a weekday so that you couldn't get to the hull timer on the weekend. And you couldn't beat them on the armor timer because you didn't have enough people available to show up on a work day. And so, particularly for objectives like that, which aren't mission critical, right? Like, whether we own the moons or they own the moons didn't really matter. We are both going to still live there. Being able to flip those back and forth and force fights over them was, would have been great. Because, you know, one side could have taken it, the other side goes and takes it back. A little bit of back and forth, generate some fights, have a good time. And so that part makes a lot of sense. And in theory, this gives you a better way if you're a smaller group and there's a really big empire that's sprawled out next to you to maybe poke some medium citadels on their border and either force them into a response much easier or get some nice moons for yourself. Right. Which makes sense. And I think... You know, that's part of what, what many of the complaints have been about, you know, less about Keepstars and Fortizars and stuff because they're a little bigger commitment and they, sh you know, people want them to feel like more of a strategic objective, but, you know, not being able to kill an Athenor because you can't get all the timers to show up in a time zone that you can possibly do is, is frustrating, not fun. I think especially as people get older, being able to just generate weekend timers is so nice. Yeah. Like, it's something you know you can, you know, get more people to. It works for both sides. You get a break during the week. 
What's not to love, right? Um, the flip side is with astrohuses, you see smaller groups that want to use or have available the benefits of Citadel life in areas where they don't necessarily easily have them have taken a massive hit. It is now far, far, far easier for groups that either want to evict people from wormholes, for example, yep. or who want to just clear out NPC null or low sec near them. It's so much easier for them to do this now because they can just blitz all the shield timers even faster than before. And then there's only one timer they need to deal with afterwards. So there's far less fatigue, far less burnout if you're going through and trying to kill like five or six Astros from a group that's living in Curse, for example, just to make them go away because they're annoying and they roam and they kill your ratters sometimes. And obviously the wormhole thing sucks. Uh, one less timer to give you time to rally defenders. And I suspect the CCP will probably get enough flame back on that regard that they try and do something. I think if if nothing else, they're going to adjust the actual time of the timer because right now in wormhole space, it's like one and a half days. And so if you don't log in every day, there's like a decent chance someone could reinforce and then kill your medium structure before you before you know that it's reinforced. It, ha it This has to change. It has to change. This is, I mean, it's horrible for wormholes, especially. Wormholes. So the main thing I'm worried about is that they do something like that and then they don't do anything for NullSec, where I think it's, and even, I'm not as well-versed in how bad it would be in LowSec, but, like, I know groups in NPC Null who, they rely on the, like, Astrohuses in particular as their main tool of well, yeah, the block can ping and come in and do some timers and kill some astrohuses, but we don't care. We'll just drop three or four more, and we're just going to keep living in NPC null, which I think is fine, because having a bunch of small groups living in NPC null, breathing life into that space, is these are groups that are independent, generating more activity, more content, doing more things. This is where they start to grow, right, if they ever want to move into solve null or something. And it just doesn't make sense to make their lives harder at the benefit of basically just blocks. Yeah, I was just I was just in um, Syndicate today, uh, speaking of NPC null and uh, Eve Uni's home home system, and there's 29 structures in that system. And so far, the main question I've been asking people when I've talked about this with with other folks is, can you name a situation? where somebody like spamming astrohuses presented you with a legitimate problem. That isn't something that like needs to be fixed in a different way, right? Like, for example, you could say, oh, like a block has spammed astrohuses on every gate. Well, if you're in Horde space, they actually spam forts on every gate. So like, that's not an astrohuse problem. That's a, you can anchor citadels a thousand kilometers off a gate problem. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think it definitely, I'm glad they're putting it on CC for a while. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of a situation in which somebody spamming Astros is like significantly detrimental to people living in a certain area of space at this point. 
I mean, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I, I can't think of any. Right, like, what's if someone can put three down, like, if they put ten down, like, who cares? Does change anything? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and especially, right, in sub null, you, you mentioned, like, Citadel spamming, right? That problem already got solved. If you have an ADM over four, uh, enemy forces, whoever they may be, can't anchor medium citadels in your system at all. So one aster, ten aster, doesn't matter. The answer is they can anchor zero. And so, again, not really relevant to how many timers they have. Yeah, I would like to see asters go back up to three because, like I said, I don't see a reason for them to be at two. I agree with that, by the way. I think asters should be. I think, you know, well, for me, I, I watched this news come out and I watched my Alliance Discord go nuts and my industry people screaming at me and, you know, this was the end of certain things that they were trying to do and they're starting to pull longer term one of the one of the feedback things that i found right away was that a lot of longer term industry jobs were getting pulled out of the right Rotaru's and uh, the industry structures because they were switching to shorter term ones because they were worried that you know something might happen and again this is overreaction to news that hadn't settled yet and i think that that in the weeks that have followed this coming out or week that's followed this coming out um you know, things have settled down a little more. I, I'm torn because, uh, of course, as my primary goal at EVE is to destroy things. And I like the idea of being able to um, to engage more freely in uh, structured things. You know, for, for LOSEC, we don't have any large structures. So mediums are all we have. Um, you know, there's, I think, only one keep star in LOSEC, maybe two. There might be a free port somewhere that I'm forgetting about. but. Otherwise, it's all mediums. So, while I understand why wormhole wormholers are upset about the timer thing, and I think that definitely has to change. You know, for us in LOSEC, this affects every single structure in our system. So, I like it from an aggressor standpoint. I'm not super happy about it as an owner of. I think last, I think I own eight medium structures as an alliance leader. So, I'm not super happy about it as a defender. But on the other hand, and this is the reality, and this is what I tried to explain to everyone, is we only defended one timer anyway. So this doesn't change our, our defense at all. I mean, we're still only going to be defending one timer. So if uh, we, we ignore shields and we only come out for the armor timers, we're still only going to be coming out for the armor timer as it is. So it doesn't really change our defensive strategies very much. Um, that is actually a really good point you brought up that I'd forgotten about, though. Mm. Um, which is that I, you say it doesn't change defensive strategies, possibly, but in my experience, it actually does have a huge impact on certain defensive choices. Because mm. prior, right, in an armor fight, you always had the option, kind of when the armor timer was over, to just dock. And right, chill right, for a bit. Right, right. Whereas now, hmm. with armor and hull being the same timer, the structure dies, and you need somewhere to go. And so, if you're in a system and that's your only structure you're defending, and right. you wanted to do something like a heavy battleship doctrine with some more expensive ships, suddenly you don't have this option when you're like starting to lose 
to say like, hey, all right, we're going to like ping off and come back and tether up and dock up or like, you know, GF, like this fight's over, we're losing. Right, and right. You run the risk of just getting wiped. You can't fall back on the whole timer. Yeah. Or you have to bounce, dock up, get out of the ships, have them asset safety and pick them up later, which also sucks. Right. And right. so suddenly you're in a situation where there's a much higher cost to running more expensive doctrines on defense. Um, which can be especially difficult when you're looking at fighting against blocks, because what you'll often see when you're fighting against blocks is they might show up with a fleet of a certain size, and then once they see that you've actually showed up to defend, right, they switch up. They'll just keep pinging for more people, and so while you may be winning the fight at the start, eventually you might get to a point where you're like, "All right, we killed a bunch of stuff, but they just brought even more," and yeah. so we're gonna have to call it. We had a uh, about three years ago when we had three Astros running in a system. We only use one now, but we had three, and and Snuff decided that they were going to get rid of them, and they did exactly that. You know, they they brought a battleship fleet to begin with, and then once we we defended, I had three or four other alliances show up to help us because it's not hard to get people to show up when they want to kill Snuff and. Um, so once once everybody was in system, that's when they brought the dreads and the faxes and things like that. Yeah, we've lived through that before. Yeah. So yeah, you know that's a good point though about the whole timer because the whole timer was always your your sort of safe zone, right? You had three days or two days or whatever the timer was to get your shit together or get or evacuate the structure. Yeah. So it just it makes it much harder to throw out heavier fleets in those situations or do something like bring a fax with you, which maybe you could argue is not potentially a great thing, but when you're fighting outnumbered and you often need to rely on having a heavy fleet to deal with like yep. the latest block invention of more immunin. Well, the other side of it too is for us, and I, this might be something that's unique to Losek. I don't know if you guys have this problem in Null, but say for us in Stay Frosty, we, like I said, we used to have three asters. We just we we knocked that down to two, one just on our own accord. We have a couple of Rotoros and a, and a couple of other industry things going on too. That that aster is our clone home, so that's where you know 150 pirates have their special clones. You know, sometimes three, four each. So if you want to, uh, you know, jump into depends on what kind of fleet you're running or what kind of ships you're doing, but you want to jump into a, a head candy situation. So I know like me, I keep three or four different clones in that Astro house, each with a uh, head, different hand head candy in it, you know, depending on what I'm flying. So those are some expensive clones that are sitting. Yeah. I probably shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> I just said, I just, I just said it out loud on a podcast. That's probably stupid, yeah. but I don't think it's unusual in one sec. So. No, I don't think so either. And it's it's always been a little tricky to deal with that because they they die at the end of the armor timer when the clone base shuts down. Well, and it used to be we had a limit. You had a limit. You know, you don't have a limit. Yeah. Well, you know, what would really solve that would be if CCP would make it so that locally clone swapping in NPC stations didn't give you a timer. Right. Which would be great for everyone everywhere that would be so awesome well yeah we might not need an astro house after. that is definitely nice but 
he also considers some areas like GW or Venal, right, where there's very few NPC stations. And so there's certain areas you might want to live in or hang out in where your only option is the Citadel. Yeah, of course. I don't mean that would solve this particular problem completely, just that in general that would be a good change. Well, it used to be the only reason we had orcas around was for clone swapping. So at least we don't have to do that anymore. You guys might not be old enough to remember that. I I was not using clones when that was a thing. Too too new and poor. So this this all is, you know, a pretty big change. Um, And it's interesting to hear these different perspectives on it because I... I mostly find myself wondering, like, is CCP's goal in making this change to make fighting over structures more appealing? Like, do they want to see more people attacking structures in general? In which case, you know, I think they're going to probably succeed. Or, you know, I'm not. Sh- I'm I'm curious, I guess, and I'm a little curious about the the Keepstar Doomsday, because it seems like, obviously, I, I, as a small ganger, do not participate in a lot of Keepstar sieges, but my impression is that, in general, you don't put capitals on grid with them. So this Uh change to their Doomsday targeting is actually a pretty dramatic nerf. So, generally speaking, you won't throw only caps at it, right? Um people either try just subs which goes okay sometimes or they just say fuck it and throw titans and supers at it which is the majority of situations okay um i like i guarantee you that the change had almost nothing to do with small gangers getting doomsdayed which oh yeah i'm sure was very frustrating nobody cares um it happened entirely because pittsburgh got dd four times in the same fight in monitors until he ran out and rage quit the game or you know some other <laughs> null, nullsec fc suffered the same thing because if you're defending one of your best solutions was have a monitors tab and just kill monitors on repeat because no blocks are notoriously terrible at doing anything once they get headshot and so once you start headshotting their fleets with the keep star which they can do literally nothing about they start to fall apart That's right funny. I've never I that is I've never thought of that before, but that's hysterical. Yes. And I I I am very aware that that change was not aimed at my my feeling safer being five hundred kilometers from a Keepstar, but happy little benefit for you. Yeah, it's it's nice to not be visited by the hand of God at random. Yeah. Um and I, I totally get that like it's better to have people actually fighting out fights rather than just being like, I'm just gonna Insta pop your super tough FC ship. Ha ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) You know. I just find it hysterical. It's hysterical. I will say from a small to medium group perspective, I'll use my opportunity to get in my Ansiplex rant. Oh, don't save that. We'll get to that. But it's such a, it, it, it ties in. All right, fine. All right. So we're, we've, we've talked about this a lot. Um, I think that there are another round of structure changes coming at FanFest. Yeah. For sure. Like the way they've been talking about stuff and the way they've been titling their dev blogs and all of this, like, I don't think they're done yet. 
Um, and I'm, I know everyone has very different and very interesting hopes about what that small will be. Small structures, uh, changes to Ansiblexes such as Murray. Ansiblex fatigue. Yes. Heels. Small small nerf to force projection would be good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still. I decided on the the one of the prior podcasts when CCP Rotati was on here, and we were kind of throwing out bad ideas that I want an anchorable with like an hour long duration that uh, shortcuts a jump bridge in system so that anyone who tries to jump to it lands at my anchorable instead. Like a mm -hmm. bait beacon for jump bridges. Right. So that they land in my gang and not on a bridge that they can jump back out of. Wow. I like it. I think would have a lot of interesting ramifications for sidetracking defense fleets in solve warfare and you know uh, just a variety of things. Make it kind of fragile so that you can't just pipe bomb the landing forever and ever. Yeah. But you know, kind of a bait beacon, like a like an anti-filament. Kinda, yeah, like a you know, like a jump to the wrong sino, except you tried to use your jump bridge and it was different. And maybe it would notify the region that it was up or something like you know, there's some. Something my, so people weren't completely blind, but my dream would be that they mess it up or do it a little weird, like you can do, I believe, with um, anchorable bubbles and citadels, where you, if you put it down first, you can get the citadel down on top of it, so that you set it up so that the fleet spawns inside the structure bottle and can't move. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yikes. Uh, that's my evil idea for the day. Um, <laughs> All right. But yeah, my main thing, I think jump bridges had fatigue before when I started playing the game. It made a lot of sense. And a lot of these things, like the medium citadel change, for example, the most important thing for the medium citadel change in terms of small and medium groups being able to put pressure on big ones is... Being able to generate more meaningful timers at easier times, like weekends, um, on the far edges of empires, and forcing them to put a lot of time and effort into defending those citadels because they live so far away. And until jump bridges are changed, that's simply not going to be true, because it's not going to take them enough time to get there for it to matter. Right. They can be there, do the fight, and then be back to whatever they were doing before fast enough that it's not a big ask. If it only takes them 10 to 15 minutes to get there, they don't actually need to preform. They can just ping once they see you actually show up, rage form and staging, and head on over. And then they're back home in 10, 15 minutes, even if you bail. Whereas if that timer suddenly doubles or triples, you now have the opportunity to either A, take back moons that shouldn't be owned by blocks anyway, get some space for yourself or the blocks need to rely on the more local residents to fight you so whatever c tier that's probably a mean way of phrasing it but whatever alliance that's yeah. part of the coalition that lives more locally will have to just fight you themselves and so suddenly you've got an even fight on your hands um, 
Yeah. Hopefully for you, that fight is against somebody like, you know, Lord, who if you give them 40 people, they'll find a way to lose to 10. So, listen, times, they've only know. fed two supers in the three supers, tw- three supers in the 20 hours since it was announced they're getting kicked out of frat. <laughs> but yeah, like being able to get those smaller fights or just get rewards for putting in that effort and being a smaller group that's fighting against those overextensions, that'd be nice. And without it, a lot of changes that CCP makes to try and benefit those smaller groups are meaningless. Yeah, I think, you know, in in general, uh, I, I don't like jump bridges because they allow that kind of force projection super easy, very fast. And the other thing that they do is they take traffic out of space. You know, if you want to move your ratting ship to your ratting system, you know, maybe you buy it in staging and you want to move it a couple jumps over or whatever, instead of taking 10 jumps through nullsec and being a person outer in space where other people can encounter, you just take a jump bridge and then maybe one gate and then you're done. And you've spent half of your travel time on grid with a citadel and you have you know, reduced your travel time overall dramatically. And I think it's not healthy to have people sidestepping geography so consistently and so easily. Yep. And the last thing I'll say in this is that anyone listening is curious. I have mathematical proof of how broken jump bridges are and how CCP has changed the amount of time it takes to get places in general over the past couple of years. If you're interested, you're more than welcome to find me on Discord. And I will send you a link. It's awesome. a pretty good read. Um, speaking of FanFest, uh, I'm going. Rick, so you're going, I think? Yep, yep, I'm going. Cool. Murray, are you going? No, I'm too poor. Uh, shame. Poor Murray. I know. Uh, Rick, is there anything in particular you're hoping to hear at FanFest in terms of these announcements? Well, I th- think that I'm. I'm hoping that the structure stuff is going to be announced, but I, I'm hoping that that's not the big thing. I'm 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 kind of hoping for something that we don't expect. I'm really hoping for something we don't expect, and I don't know exactly what that would be. But I I would like to hear something new. My my thing is, you know, it's been four almost four years since we've been to FanFest, and we've had or we've had one because we skipped 2019, and then 2020 happened, and so you know. On how you count time, it's just been a long time. I, every fan, this will be my fifth, I think, and every one that I've been to, it's been like, oh yeah, that, oh yeah, that, and so it's all been post, sort of, you know, large expansion time with the, you know, the new way that we're doing things, and you know, my first fan fest was uh, the last one that Seagull was at. I, I would like to have something new that we aren't expecting, you know, that they pull out from the rug and they say, look, there's things. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're doing that. That would be awesome. Um, I don't know that we're going to get something like that, though. I don't know that we live in a world where that's going to ever happen again. And that's kind of sad. But mostly I'm I'm going for low sec, you know, tr- trying to figure out what the heck is going on and why, you know, we've waited 10 years now for anything significant to be done to factional warfare and what we're doing to, you know, I've seen a massive 
steady decline in activity and low sec and have been promised a lot of changes and that haven't happened. And I'm really just going to find out what the hell is going on and why we haven't been given any sort of dev time at all. So um, that's my goal going forward. So Yeah, it would be really interesting to see, you know, if maybe one of these Citadel changes, like changes how they interact with faction warfare or something low sec related. Yeah. If they potentially gave faction warfare a little bit of breathing room by pushing out the citadels of groups that aren't participants, I think that could be very interesting, but I'm going to avoid saying more because I'm not a faction warfare person, so I'll probably get yelled at for being dumb or wrong or something. <laughs> yeah, well, I think... Well, I mean, imagine, uh, imagine that CCP's been done a lot lately with over the last few years with system-wide storms, with system-wide effects, with system-wide things, right? And they, we've seen it with uh, incursions. We've seen it with uh, storms. We've seen it with other things. And so my hope is that that is just a precursor to system-wide effects for who owns the system, right? So, you know, say the Kaldari can currently own the system, perhaps they're getting bonuses to shield. You know, if the if the Galenti own a system, perhaps they're getting bonuses to uh, drone hit points or something. I mean, I don't know. It seems to me that the defenders uh, or the owners of the system should have some benefit for owning a system other than just increased loyalty points and things. I have a you know an entire roadmap of how the fixed faction works. Just this week, I talked on uh, with Phantomite and a and a couple of other people on. Uh, in one of the discords about, you know, some really super easy ways to help that wouldn't take any dev time at all. You know, just tweak a few things here and there and low sec faction warfare would be so much better. And and so why aren't those things being done? That just concerns me because there are things and steps that you could take that wouldn't take much effort at all. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems a little strange given how dramatically the introduction of Citadels affected the faction warfare system with station control and all that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that it seems like it has, you know, and for, you know, for all we know, CCB has like halfway gone through some change and then realized some massive issue and started over 10 times in those right. those right. years. We we don't know that, but nothing has really been announced and definitely nothing has been released so what's it's 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 strange to me to see that you know total lack of attention yeah agreed i don't understand it and i would like to better understand why that's my goal for fanfest all right well let's get CCP Swift really drunk and see if he'll tell us things he's not supposed to tell us. <laughs> exactly. That's the spirit. I believe in you. Right? Yep. All right. Well, we should probably wrap this up. Um, Murray, do you have anything or anyone you'd like to shout out this week? Uh, shout out to my boys and boss. It was fun hanging out with them while I was doing the Garistas event up in uh, Venal. Since uh, I've been good friends with some of them for a while, and it provided me with a pretty easy place to hang out while I was doing sites and hunting people doing sites. Nice. Rex, how about you? 
I am going to spend my shout out on uh, uh, giving a shout out to Johnny Verpio, Oxford, Oxford Verpio. And you won't believe this, but this gentleman built 20,000 fully fitted T1 frigate, uh, each one, all, all PVP frigates. And that's just freaking amazing to me. And he did it uh, all on his own for the most part and delivered every single one of them to a structure in uh, Uleta and contracted them all over to me and made uh, the fact the free of free for all just an awesome experience for everyone who participated and i can't say enough about how appreciative i am for his efforts so i just special shout out to him and the folks in uh, lucifer's hammer our industrial arm who uh, supported that and made some destroyers for us too and we just had a blast it was an awesome experience and i think uh, they deserve all the credit in the world for it that's awesome. That's a lot of frigates to build, or like that's a lot of frigates to fit, much less build. Yeah, yeah. I had to move those things in uh, in a in. I have a bowhead. I move them myself uh, every morning. I'd log on and and accept the contracts. This is weeks and weeks ahead of time, and move them you know one trip at a time over to the structures and and put them in our directors' hangers and things to get ready. But that's insane. It's insane. That's crazy. Um, I'm going to shout out uh, the Anger Games, which are coming up pretty soon here, I think. End of May? Feeders are in two weeks? Yeah, not this weekend, but next weekend is the feeders right before FanFest. Right. And then the actual tournament is end of May into the first weekend or two of June, as I recall. Right. And... You know, I had a lot of fun with the Alliance Tournament, and I have been having a lot of fun with the Anger Games when I can make it to practice because I'm working all the time. And it's a huge and thankless task to organize a tournament in even line, and the participants who are who are actually desperate for tournaments will give you shit about your tournament that they are desperate for you to hold for them in a way that's really... Uh, if I were organizing one, I would be, I, I would have some feelings about it. The airlocking people left and right. Eve players can be a bit much sometimes. They can. Hopefully you'll be in a couple matches, and hopefully I'll be uh, casting the ones you're in, so I can hype you up a little. Oh, nice. You're. Oh, yeah, I saw you casting some of the opens. You're doing the whole tournament? I'm trying my hand at it, so that's the first time. And so. That's cool. I'm seeing yeah. what I can do since that was a much, 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 much lower time commitment than actually being on a team. Yes. What team are you part of? Nanocurrency, my corporation, has a team called uh, Nanofiber Tokens. We're Team nice. NFT. Very cool. Which sort of, uh, our corp description is, is basically a rewritten Bitcoin ad. So... It's nice. it's fitting with that. Very nice. Should be fun. Well, I'm looking forward to that, and I think we're going to wrap it up here for the week. Uh, Rick, you want to do the sign off? Set me. All right. Till next time. Fly dangerous, and remember, it's not the size of your gang. It's how you use it. Hey guys, I just wanted to throw a little note on the end here. We recorded this a day or two before CCP announced the
price increase for subscriptions, which is why we don't address it in this episode. And I don't think I'm going to have time to record another episode before FanFest, um, because that is next week. So I was already planning on doing an episode or two to go over FanFest and, you know, the news and everything that comes out there in detail. And I do think, you know, they've specifically said they're big content announcements and they've been, you know, acting, like we said in the episode, like they're saving some big news about structures and some other things. So once we know what all that is, we will certainly be talking about it and, you know, the, that relationship and how, how this price increase affects that or if it's, you know, if it's a good idea or bad idea or worthwhile or a cash grab or what, we'll certainly be part of that conversation. I know it's kind of all that everyone is talking about on many discords at the moment, so I just wanted to address it briefly. We'll go into it more once we have a a bigger picture after FanFest.